0: And now, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, uh, we're in chapter 11. Our congregation is working uh, straight through the book of Judges. We've come to the eighth judge, a man named Jephthah. We were introduced to him last week. Uh, we were reading there about how in the, uh, in the midst of great sin on behalf of the people, uh, God raises up this man, a man who is an outcast from his society uh, who was uh, really abandoned and then they went to bring him back uh, to lead uh, to lead them against their enemies who had invaded uh, their land and oppressed them uh, for 18 years. So we're going to pick up the story of Jephthah. Uh, I will warn you, this is an interesting passage. It's almost like... Uh, What we're uh, reading here is uh, diplomacy, international diplomacy, and uh, it it may be on first blush hard to figure out what does this have to do with us, but uh, it does uh, reflect some important truths about our God and about how He works. So I'm going to read from verses 12 to 28. This can be found on page 291 in the Pew Bible. This is the New King James translation. Uh, Let's give attention. This is the Word of God. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon. And said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please, let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent So Israel remained in Kadesh, and they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab. And they came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, "'Please let us pass through your land into our place.' But Sion did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, so Sion gathered all his people together, encamped in Jehaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites, who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord of Israel, uh, Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord, our God, takes possession of before us, we will possess. And now are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages in Aurora and its villages and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. And that's where we are end our reading. May God bless his word to his people. Well, early in 2022, uh, when the Russian army invaded Ukraine, uh, there was almost uh, universal outrage uh, expressed about that. And what was interesting is that the Russians didn't say, well, uh, we don't care about your standards. Uh, this is an aggressive war for dominion. They they tried to justify what they did. They said, well, these lands used to be ours, or there are people in Ukraine, Slavic people who would really rather be a part of Russia. We're going to liberate them. And, uh, and so they tried to justify their invasion. And uh, what what's fascinating, right, is, is even Today, we see the same thing going on that we just read about 3,000 years ago, which is that you have clashes between nations and a desire to be seen as in the right. Uh, so, I, I'm doing what is just and right. No, you're, no, no, not you, but me. And this, of course, is something that we deal with all the time in our society. Because there is a great desire among people to be seen as just, to be seen as on the side of justice. Uh, The problem is that there are competing theories about what is actually just. Uh, The dictionary describes justice as that which is morally good and right. And of course, we understand, uh, to, to understand true justice, we base that on what God says is morally true and morally right. But in our society, that's not the way it often works. And in fact, often uh, Christians end up on the losing side because what is just is determined by popular opinion, by personal preference, not by the Word of God. And so living in this culture where we can often feel uh, like we are in a minority and that there is no hope of actual justice being done, This passage is a great reminder because Israel had been wronged by the nation of Ammon. And when they complained about it, Ammon said, no, 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 you're in the wrong. And their only hope in that context then is to cry out to God, the one true judge, the only one whose opinion really matters. And this is helpful for you and me to understand in our own interactions, but also living in the society that we live in, that there's one judge whose opinion matters, and that is the Lord God. He is the one just judge that we call out to. And so as we look at this passage, uh, I, I want us to see the main point, which is that you and I need a mediator who will appeal to God, the just judge, on your behalf. We see how this happens in our passage, and it's a great encouragement to us. And children, if you're going to draw a picture for me, uh, maybe you could draw a picture of this messenger taking a message to the king of Ammon. And listen as we talk about what it is that is in that message. And uh, for those of you visiting, if you fill out... Uh, the pages there for the kids and then you come over here after the service mrs burton uh, will give you a piece of candy if you have done that assuming that that's okay with your parents of course well there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along you can see the first thing we want to notice is that you and i live in a world of injustice where moral posturing is the order of the day Uh, now we read last week jephthah Remember, he negotiated. that The people of Israel said, hey, we want you to be our military leader. And uh, Jephthah negotiated to be more than that. He's going to be the head of the nation. And and interestingly, he acts like the head of the nation. In verse 12, he sends messengers to the king of Ammon. So he starts acting like the leader of this nation. And so he's he's engaging in diplomacy here. You have invaded our land. You're oppressing our people. Why have you done this? What, What have we done to provoke this. And so uh, there is an assumption here right that aggressive military campaign in this context is not right. Now one of the things you have to understand is lying behind this is the relation the historical relationship among these nations. So Ammon and Moab uh, there on the, east, uh, on, the, on the east of the Jordan River, next to Israel, Ammon and Moab were the sons of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And so what's interesting here is they are all related historically. And Ammon and Moab would not even exist if Abraham had not interceded on their behalf and rescued their ancestor Lot and, uh, and, and, and delivered them. And so historically, uh, the Lord has recognized that these are neighboring sort of extended family kinds of relations. The other thing that's helpful here is to understand that these two nations, Ammon and Moab, are often paired together. Verse 13 tells us that the king of Ammon answered uh, and uh, and so it seems like as we go through this passage that it's possible he's ruling over Ammon and Moab together at this point uh, because he interchanges. He mentions the god Chemos, which, which is the god of, of Moab. Uh, I I gave you in your outline, uh, Judges 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 12 and 13, just to remind you that it wasn't that long ago in the book of Judges that we had an incursion by a group from Moab and Ammon. It says there, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon, and Amalek and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palm. So just a couple of hundred years before what we're reading about here, uh, Israel had been, uh, had been attacked by Moab and Ammon and had defeated them. And you children know, what was the judge who delivered them from Eglon? Anyone remember that for us? Who was it? I'm testing you now. Who delivered Israel from Eglon? What's that? Ehud. Ehud. Okay, great. The left-handed judge. All right. Did Mrs. Briggs give you the answer for that? Or did you... Oh, he got it. Okay, all right. Very good. Very good. I want to make sure one of the kids got it. Yes. So the judge Ehud delivered them. So now uh, we have another, it seems like, incursion by a sim- this similar group. And in verse 13, uh, the king of Ammon is trying to justify what they've done. He says, well, this is because Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt, and then he describes the land from the Arnon to the Jabuk and uh, the Jordan River. So he's basically trying to say, no, no, this was our land. This was our land. You took this land from us. We had it first. So we're only coming in now to take back what is ours. And and so understand what's happening here. Israel has been uh, sinned against, violated by this neighboring nation, and... In response to their asking, you know, why are you doing this? They're being told, no, 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 you're in the wrong, uh, and and uh, this is the right thing for us to invade you. Uh, Matthew Henry speaking about this says, and this is in your outline as well, even those that do the greatest wrong yet have such a conviction in their conscience of justice that they would seem to do right. And uh, that is certainly an apt description uh, for our day today. When uh, we are ruled by outrage of one sort or another, everyone uh, doing what is right in his or her own eyes and feeling justified. I don't know if you saw any of the testimony of a young woman named Chloe Cole last week, a 19-year-old um, girl who uh, went through a transition to be a boy and then has now uh, transitioned back and testifying before Congress. It's only like five minutes long, but it is worth watching. Because she comes before them and she says, I was a young girl of 12 years old and uh, and faced with some challenges just as I was going through puberty and and questions and difficulties. And my parents went to the doctors and the doctors said, if you don't do this for your daughter she'll kill herself. So my parents were manipulated into having these things done to me. So I was given Lupron uh, to suppress hormone. I was given testosterone. I had both of my breasts removed at age 15. And uh, after I had my body mangled with no effort at all to deal with my mental health issues, uh, I realized it didn't fix anything. It didn't fix anything. And she was there pleading with them. You have to stop this from being done to children. It's medical malpractice. And yet the people who are doing this are absolutely convinced that their cause is just. And that this kind of surgery needs to be done. And so you can read their response to her testimony. You know, this is a one-off whatever, that you shouldn't take her seriously. And this is the society that we live in, where people claim to be doing what is just and right, when in fact they're doing things that violate God's law and God's desire. And we have to realize that we sometimes are guilty of this ourselves. It's easy for us to look at this and say, yes, I can see this is a problem. But how often am I angry with a brother or sister without cause? Or I'm proud, or I'm envious, or I'm overly critical, or I'm lazy, I misuse my time. And there are many things we do. Violating what is righteous, what is just, what is good. And we excuse it. We sometimes go farther and we make it uh, a virtue. So we turn our own uh, laziness, for example, into a virtue. And, and this is a temptation we all face. We need to be honest with ourselves. We live in a world where there is injustice running rampant and where everybody is posturing that we're morally right but secondly we see here that God on the other hand is very concerned about true justice on both a personal and a corporate level so Jephthah sends messengers in verse 14 he's not going to let this false accusation stand he's going to respond to what they're saying And the Bible certainly tells us that God cares about justice on an interpersonal level. I put in your outline Micah 6, verse 8, a very famous verse. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is how we are to relate to one another on a personal level uh with honesty and what with what is good and what is righteous. But we see in this passage that God cares about this on a corporate level as well. Uh, and, and so this goes beyond just the personal level. Jephthah is defending his nation, his people, against the nation of Ammon. And so what he does then in verses 15 uh, to 20 is to recount the actual history that happened. And so he says in verse 15, uh, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. And then he goes on to explain what actually happened. And if you're interested in reading more of this, you can look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and 3 and Numbers chapter 20 to 24, uh, 24. But Israel was under strict, uh, guidelines by God not to mess with these people and these nations. I put one example from Deuteronomy 2 in your outline, verses 9 and 19. Now, this is Moses speaking. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given it... to I've given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So, Jephthah goes through this history, and he explains, and you can see this on your map here. So, this is all happening The Jordan River runs down the middle, and we're east of the Jordan River. And Israel's coming up from Egypt, and they ask Edom, can we go in through your land? We're trying to get into the Promised Land. Edom says no. They don't invade Edom. They go to Moab. Can we go in through here? No. They don't invade Moab. They stay, as he says assiduously, to the north of the river Arnon that's in the red box that was the northern boundary of Moab they're careful not to go into Moab so they come in atop here they stay out of Ammon uh, up to the east a little bit so this green strip right here that's where they try to go through where the Amorites are and they ask this man Sion this king can we pass through there and he not only says no you cannot pass through there he sends his whole army to attack them and so that's why they're forced into a fight. They win against the people, uh, the Amorites, and so they settle in that land there uh, prior to going across the river because, as he says, God gave us that land. This is what actually happened. Far from being the aggressor, God's people, in this case, were avoiding conflict, but then they were attacked in an unprovoked manner. So children, this is what I was talking to you about in the children's message. This would be like they ask if they can go through, and and then the whole group comes out and tries to kill them. But they call upon God and seek His help. And, uh, And this is important. Recognize this is in the Scripture for your edification. This actually is significant that the nation is handling this interaction in a way that honors God. I'm not sure if you've read about a senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, and what he's been up to in the last several weeks, months. But he has managed, because the Senate has very sort of arcane rules, this one senator has been able to stop all consideration of nominees for positions in the military. And so they just went on their uh, fall recess, their late summer recess, with over 300 nominees not having been processed yet. And uh, so some people could be saying, well, why, this, this sounds extreme. He's doing it because the military has started paying all expenses related to any abortions that happen amongst the service women. And he said, this is a violation of the Hyde Amendment. This this taxpayer money isn't to be used for this. And until you fix this, we're not going to have any more votes on your nominees. Now, I mean, that, that may seem extreme. And yet, this is motivated by the idea that it matters what we do corporately. It actually does matter. And God cares about these kind of things. And we often don't think in those terms It's not just about my own personal interactions, those are important, but the the groups that I am a part of. And obviously, uh, we have limited impact on what we do at the national level. We can certainly be praying, but we are a part of all kinds of groups, right? We're a part of a church, we're a part of families, sometimes we're a part of businesses, and God actually cares about our approach to righteousness at the corporate level. So God cares about both personal, and this text shows us corporate justice. And as such, we also see here that God, thirdly, God may intervene to accomplish His justice in your lifetime, in your experience. And we see this in verses 21 to 26. So Jephthah continues his argument, and he says very clearly in verse 21 The Lord God of Israel delivered Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus, Israel gained the possession of all the land of the Amorites. So, God intervened. In this case, God intervened, and God showed who was right in this conflict. And uh, he's very specific. In verse 22, he says, They took possession... Of all the territory of the Amorites, not the Ammonites, the Amorites, and then he mentions the boundaries from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So those are the boundaries he gives: the southern boundary, that river Arnon; the northern boundary, the Jabbok; the eastern bo- or the western boundary, the Jordan River. And then what would be the eastern boundary would be the wilderness of Ammon. He very carefully saying, we did not go into your land. This land was not your land. We didn't take your land. This was the Amorites' land. They attacked us, and God gave us their land. Uh, This is not how the king of Ammon sees it. As he said back in verse 13, uh, Israel took away my land when they came in from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. He left out the eastern boundary. And so you notice what he's doing there is he's saying... This land was contiguous to ours, so therefore really it should be ours. This is sort of like if 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 Canada had invaded, I know this is funny, right? If Canada had invaded uh, Greenland and then Greenland fights off Canada and takes Canada over and then the United States says, well, Canada's ours. And Greenland's like, what are you talking about? It's yours, you didn't do anything. And we said, well, yeah, but they're right on our border, right, so therefore it's ours. And this is a basically what the Ammonites were doing and, uh, and Jephthah is saying no. Furthermore, he says in verse 24 God gave this to us. You understand that if your God, Chemosh, your false God, gave you land, you would take it. And in fact, our God gave us this land, it is ours. And then he goes on in verses 25 and 26 just to basically say look, the situation, this has been the status quo for 300 years. And during that whole time, no one has come to us and said, hey, this is our land, you're in our land, give us our land back. That didn't happen for 300 years. So this is not a claim that makes any sense at this point. And I think the point for us is to see God sometimes, it doesn't do this as often as we'd like perhaps, but sometimes God uh, acts in the world to bring about a just result that He wills. Often it is delayed. We know from our scripture that God ultimately will get His justice. But in our own lifetime, sometimes, sometimes we see it. And when we see it, we should celebrate it. Again, we sang from Psalm eleven, uh, Psalm 7 earlier, and I put a quote from that in your outline. God is a just judge. He's angry with the wicked every day. And then it talks about how God brings the trouble of the wicked back on His own head, and in his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. But then he closes with, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. When God does intervene in our world, we should give thanks. In 1975, an eight-year-old girl named Gretchen Harrington, the daughter of the Reformed Presbyterian pastor in Broomall, Pennsylvania, Disappeared on her way to vacation Bible school. And they found her body two months later in a park not far away. And for all intents and purposes, it appeared that justice was certainly not going to happen in this life. Until last week, last week, an 83-year-old former pastor of another church that was doing VBS with the RPs was arrested in Georgia and confessed to the killing. 48 years to get justice. And her parents didn't live to see it, but other relatives did. And... uh, Sometimes it never happens. But sometimes, God brings about His justice in our own lifetimes and we get to see it. We should be thankful when it happens to some extent. It's imperfect in this world. But God does achieve His justice as He was in what's described in our text. But fourthly, we're reminded that your ultimate hope is that God, the just judge will vindicate his people in the end. And so in this context where they've been invaded and the invader is saying, no, no, you're in the wrong. What can you do? Jephthah says in verse 27, therefore I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. This is what he does. He appeals to the just judge of all the world. He appeals to the Lord. The Lord, the judge. He is the one that we appeal to ultimately. Yes, in this life, sometimes the criminal gets away with it. Sometimes the lie is never detected. But the Bible tells us that God will fully and finally deal with all evil. This is why Romans 12, verses 19 to 21 tells us, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And God reminds you, He is the great avenger of His people. He will not fail to execute justice. It is not our prerogative to take matters into our own hands. We don't have the the right knowledge. We don't have the right authority. God has all those things and God is faithful. And Jephthah shows here before a single shot is fired in this battle that he understands he has to throw himself on the Lord. And Barry Webb commenting commenting on this says, uh, this is in your outline, Here at last, Jephthah's belief in Yahweh's unrivaled supremacy shines through and his willingness to stake everything on him. This is his finest moment and the one that most justifies his inclusion among Israel's heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Because it does take faith to entrust yourself to God, and to appeal to God, calling upon Him to vindicate His people. And you may feel that right now is a very difficult time to be a believer in our culture. It, it, obviously, we can look around the world and see it's a lot more difficult in other places. And one of the things that's so challenging in our own context to see how rapidly How rapidly things have changed, where standards of biblical morality that have held sway uh, throughout our nation's history are just abandoned seemingly in uh, a short, short amount of time. And the rapid pace at which these things are happening so that now holding biblical views of morality on a host of issues is considered hateful and evil. And uh, not just that the church is a laughing stock, but that the church is viewed as a positive evil by so many people. And you may feel that uh, that uh, our hope of getting justice and God's righteousness in our culture is uh, is impossible. And you yourself may feel like you have personally been falsely accused in some way and held out as guilty in some way. And this passage is there to remind you that there is a just judge who knows the truth, and he is the one that you can appeal to, and he is the one who will vindicate you. And whether this is in your own extended family, uh, in your office, um, in other settings, uh, God is promising that he will do what is right And of course, we understand this isn't because we are righteous in ourselves. It is because the Lord Jesus Christ is righteous in our place. But the promise of the Scripture is that you and I will see this at the end. I put in your outline a quote from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 38, which asks about what benefits believers can anticipate at the resurrection. And it says there, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory, shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. It doesn't get any better than that. But you see what it says. Openly acknowledged and acquitted. You may go through your whole life here on earth with people saying, you're guilty. You're the one that's unloving. You're the one that's the hater. But God says there's coming a day when Jesus comes again when all of these things will be done in the open, and God will say, "These people are innocent and righteous in my sight." as Mark 10:32 and 33 say, "Therever who confesses, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father, who is in heaven." That's a promise. From Jesus, So your ultimate hope isn't for justice in this life, although we should pursue it, but it is that God will bring about ultimate justice. But finally then, the passage also shows you that you need a mediator to appeal to God, the just judge, on your behalf. Uh, verse 28 tells us that the king of Ammon doesn't heed the warning. He's actually given fair warning. But it says that uh, he did not heed the words that Jephthah sent him. In fact, we'll be reading uh, next week, Lord willing, that he pays a high price for this decision. And I think you and I have to realize that apart from God's grace, we're a lot like the Ammonites. We can hear these warnings, but we don't receive them. We don't take them in. We don't listen to them. But what do we see here? We see Jephthah, the judge, appealing to God on behalf of his people. And he identifies with the people of God. I don't know if you noticed, in verse 12, when he first sent the message, he said, what do you have against me? Why why have you come up to fight against me in my land? See, he has identified himself with his people. Or in verse 27, I have not sinned, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. So here the judge identifies with his people. And then with incredible skill and knowledge, he argues his people's case. That's what this whole uh, diplomatic text is. It's, It's Jephthah arguing on behalf of his people. And the fascinating thing is we know God hears because subsequently we're going to see God's spirit comes on Jephthah and Jephthah is going to win the, the victory. So here we have a mediator identifying with his people, arguing on his people's behalf and having an audience with God the Father who answers according to his desire. And this, of course, is meant to point you to the only mediator the only true mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect mediator who comes into this world, who identifies with sinful people like us. He identifies with His people. And then He argues on your behalf before a just and holy God. And and the reason that's effective... (laughs) The reason He can argue on your behalf is not because you have this great uh, this great track record uh, to prove your innocence, but because Jesus stands there arguing His own righteousness. He's saying to the Father, these are My people. These are the people I have died for. I have paid for their sins. I have given them My righteousness. They are clothed in My righteousness. And, and Jesus making that argument with the Father. You have every... Every hope that he has heard and that God hears and responds to his son. And that's what this text is directing us to. There are times when uh, human beings get themselves in situations they can't get them out of. We, we just have a new soldier who's come into, uh, who, who's now in North Korea. Uh, but from time to time, we have American citizens who are trapped in places like that you can't speak the language you have no uh, you have no ability to negotiate you have no hope at all that you're going to find your way out and the only way people like that ever get out is because someone from outside comes in and intercedes for them and makes the argument for them and this is what we need in the lord jesus christ you and i can't be go before a holy god and say look how righteous we are But we can go to our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus can go before the Father, the just judge, and plead your case for you. And that's what you need. That's what I need. Uh, Our only hope for justice in this world is the justice that God gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I need a mediator who will appeal to God for us. Uh, Let's ask the Lord Jesus to do that on our behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that uh, on the surface this is a passage that's confusing to us. Why why pause uh, at this stage in the story of Jephthah to give us this long uh, description of uh, what happened in the past? Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what's going on here. We have one Uh, who is chosen by you to represent his people, who comes forward and who pleads the case of his people, who makes the appeal. And uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, this is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless mediator who uh, makes appeal uh, for us before you. We confess that we live in a world of injustice, and we're often complicit in that injustice. But how we thank you, uh, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to rescue us. And uh, Lord, that you are committed uh, to achieving perfect justice. We thank you that we see it in part in this life, but we thank you that we will see it fully at the end. And we thank you that we have every hope that in Jesus Christ you will hear. And uh, as he pleads for us, you will forgive and that you will bless us. We pray that you would help us even this week as we see around us Uh, different uh, people uh, claiming to be righteous while they uh, disobey You, that You would give us grace to trust in You and to patiently serve You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we'll sing our praise back to the Lord now by going uh, back to Psalm 7. And uh, this time we'll sing the first part, again, in which we're just celebrating God's mercy uh, to us, even in sometimes uh, to, uh, to judge... Uh, those who persecute us and delivering us, uh, we see that God is a faithful one in whom we can take uh, refuge. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to Him.